The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 143 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Before we get into the episode, we do want to thank a new reviewer on Apple Podcasts. The username is Pack Eagle. Thank you so much for your very kind words as well as your five-star review. You know, these reviews really help other people to find the show and hear these conversations with amazing members of the church. Uh, we really do appreciate it. As a reminder, this is the last episode before we go on vacation for three weeks. So for the next three Mondays, there will be no new episodes, but I promise we will be back after our uh, three-week break here. We do this every summer and uh, around Christmas time as well. This will give you a chance to maybe go back and catch some episodes you may have missed, but also maybe to find some new podcasts, which leads right into this week's guest, uh, Tony Overbay. Such an incredible guy. You'll hear it in the conversation that I was absolutely riveted. I learned so much in this conversation. Tony, uh, his combination of his testimony, uh, along with his study of psychology and therapy and everything else he brings together, it's just fantastic. You are going to absolutely love it. And this week in my Latter-day Life, we're going back to church. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And my guest today here on the show is not only a very well-known marriage and family therapist, but he's also the host of his own podcast, and he has an incredible life story to tell. Tony Overbay, welcome to the show. Sean, thank you. Never have we had so much difficulty starting a show, have we? This this is not this is chance. meant to be. There is someone that needs to hear this very very badly, and all the forces of evil were trying to stop us, but it, they cannot. Someday I'm going to tell my grandkids about how hard we work to overcome IT issues. It's like the pioneers, right? Yeah. I hate to say it, but we might be a stereotype of middle-aged men, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out technology. But we're here. This is all that matters. And I'm exactly. so excited to get to know you. Me too. Um, Tony has done a lot of work with past guests like Kurt Frankum uh, of Leading Saints. And Tony and I are also part of the same podcasting group on Facebook, yeah. which is kind of how we met and got to know each other. But we've never actually met before, so I'm super excited to hear your story, and I've got so many questions. But before we do, let's get to know you. Where? Tell us a little bit about where you're from. Okay, and I have to tell you, as a therapist who asks people to tell me more about them all day, and then a podcast <laughs> host who interviews people, I find it so hard to just talk about myself because I feel like I am, you know, being some some just raging narcissist or egomaniac. Or so, if at any point we find that I've turned it back around on you, Sean, and all of a sudden you're feeling a desire to lay down in your chair and, and just kind of. <laughs> talk about your childhood then you you stop me okay yeah no this is all about you this is this is let's get to know Tony today oh, how so. uncomfortable okay yeah no it's perfect we're flipping it around on you so That's right. tell, tell so okay so from. I was uh where was I where am I from I was I was actually born in in Johnson City Tennessee so I'm uh oh. um, yeah East Tennessee and and then my dad moved a little bit with um with his job and as and it was somewhere around fifth grade actually where 
and, and it's so funny, he had gone and worked in Puerto Rico for a few months. And apparently I've heard this story now a few times that he had a chance to move the family to either Puerto Rico or Salt Lake City, Utah. And, and I remember we went on a vacation to Puerto Rico and it was exotic and, <laughs> and, you know, but then apparently he, he maybe said it wasn't, uh, exactly where he wanted to raise a family. And so we landed in Salt Lake and I was a kid in fifth grade with a, a, a very thick um, accent. We'd moved from Tennessee to North Carolina, but it was still this, I was still full of y'alls and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, yeah. And then we but dropped also, here what in fifth a grade. stark choice. I mean, can you imagine anything starker than no. Puerto Rico or Salt Lake City? I mean, that's a big juxtaposition. No, and I think about that often because, I, you know, you do kind of wonder, all right, what would my life have been like there? Um, because I, I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart in Utah. We've been married mm. almost 30 years. I mean, she's the love of my life and all these things. And and uh, what would have happened? What would have happened if I went to Puerto Rico? I don't know. But yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that they decided to, to jump into uh, Salt Lake. Yeah, sounds like it. Were were you raised in the church? No, so I'm actually the only member. So I, you know, I think I've got some of my good jokes or bits where I was, now I realize that growing up in, I grew up in Sandy, Utah, and I was one of the only non-members around. And so now I know that I was probably everybody's project, everybody, you know, everybody talking about me in ward (laughs) council or, you know, and I now look back on that. I've been a young men's president a couple of times and served in a bishopric and, you know, you go to the youth committee meetings and I'm sure it was the, well, we've invited Tony to go to mutual on Wednesdays and we've invited him to a dance. And, you know, and I know that I was that guy now. And it's pretty funny to think back about that. So tell us, tell us kind of the quick uh, version of your conversion story. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, it was, it was, a uh, it was kind of fun. I had, so I did actually, one of my very best friends was the other non-member kid in my high school. There were a couple of us, but I don't think there were very many, <laughs> but then our, the third in our trio was, uh, was a very active member from a very active family. And, and I grew up not necessarily hearing a lot about, I mean, I grew up in, in Sandy, but I wasn't aware of the church young. I mean, you know, you hear about Mormons sure, yeah, and I knew that, uh, on some certain Saturdays, uh, the, the family across the street would, would do yard work with conference blaring outside. And, you know, and I remember thinking, that's odd. You know, that, they, they're not listening to music. You know, they're listening yeah. to people just talking. <laughs> and, and I did go to a tremendous amount of dances, which I enjoyed. And I did feel like I was invited to so many activities and campouts. Sure. And, yeah, so that was fun to be the non-member kid growing up. Yeah. But I, and, I, and I still remember uh, I was in high school and, and this was before I really started this conversion story. And I remember being at my friend, uh, my friend Shim's house and there in Sandy and we were spending, I was spending the night and he seemed just uncomfortable and, uh, and I'd known him forever and he just kept wanting to talk and he, and I'm thinking, okay, we're, we got video games to play. And, and, and then right before he goes to bed, he grabs this book of Mormon and he says, you know, Tony, this, this book means a lot to me, you know? And I, I remember I, now I know that it had probably been some challenge, some you know priest quorum challenge. Yeah, that, sure, right. But I remember just going, okay, that's great. But uh, can we get back to playing video games? You know, and I, and I feel so bad. I don't know what that report was back to his quorum. Yeah, I know. tried. Hey, I, I tried. tried. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I had a good friend. Uh, I had a good friend Trent, and and I would go over to his house a lot. And I tell this as a joke, but it is so true. Um, but. I would go over there for dinner and the missionaries would happen to be there too. And I always thought this is a coincidence. I mean, these guys are here almost every time I'm here having dinner. And uh, <laughs> I mean, high what school. What a crazy right? coincidence. My it was. Gosh. And, then, and then what was fascinating was they always had time to sit down and talk after dinner. So I thought, mm. well, that's kind of neat. So, uh, yeah. and, you know, and then every now and again, they would have flip charts and, and I just thought this is, this is just ironic that when I come over yeah. here. So, um, and then at one point they just said, you know, will you be baptized? And I thought, 
okay, you know, sure. And I even did a fireside with my buddy Trent where they were, he was asking me, they were almost talking now I, I can recognize of saying, Hey, tell us how you were able to get Tony to join the church and to commit to the missionary discussions. And, and I just remember having attention focused on me, which I thought was pretty cool. And I think yeah. I would answer questions, but I still hadn't really brought it up with my parents yet. So I think we had a baptismal date. We had all this kind of set. And then I remember going home and I remember it was uh, March madness. Um, we were watching basketball games and I remember getting nervous and thinking, I think I was probably 17 and I thought I probably need to let them know. Yeah, this yeah. is probably going to be, you know, and, uh, and then all of a sudden I got really scared and I just remember going from one half of a game to the next half of a game. I'll tell them at halftime. Then it's halftime. We get there. I'm like, I can't do it. I'll tell them after this game. And then, and finally I just kind of said, Hey, so, uh, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to get baptized. I think I'm going to join the Mormon church. And, and it was record scratch, you know, basically <laughs> a, no, I, I don't think you are. And, uh, and I just remember going, okay. And then, uh, and then just shutting down. And, mm. and then as a matter of fact, um, and, and, you know, bless their hearts. I, I mean, we, we have a great relationship now and we yeah. did, I mean, but, but I of know course. that they had a lot of, uh, thoughts about the church and, and I recognized later that they had moved into the middle of Sandy, Utah as a couple of yeah. people that, you know, they, they, uh, they drank and they smoked and they maybe used some colorful language. And so they had had these experiences. I wasn't aware that people immediately came knocking on their door and, and saying, Hey, come to church and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I had learned far later that apparently um, there had been a conversation somewhere in my neighborhood that I was a good kid, but that I wasn't a Mormon. And I think that maybe they had taken, mm. there's been some offense taken there at some point. Sure. Uh, right. But so, so then I, I just said, okay, I guess I'm not getting baptized. And I remember just putting the brakes on all of that. And, uh, and, and then that was kind of, that was kind of it while I was there in, in Utah. That was the end. So, yeah. yeah, I can, and by the way, I can totally understand your parents, you know, I mean, yeah, here, they, they moved you here. So there's kind of a double of, I put you in this situation surrounded by them and now they're trying to get you. There's <laughs> almost going to got to be some kind of protection level, right? Like I would I'm think so too. My son, yeah, you know, from the danger so I brought him into. So, yeah. so then I, I want to get back into your high school and everything else in a bit, but let's finish up hearing the rest okay. of your, your conversion. And then we'll jump back into high school. Okay. Cause yeah, this is something I, I don't know if I've really ever talked much about. So then, boy, let me just take on a very odd kind of, uh, these events that happen. Your story. It's okay. Your, so I know it's so funny to talk about it though, Sean, it really is. So my junior year, um, I, I play, I played baseball and basketball and throughout high school. And I went to this uh, really large high school at the time it was Alta high school. And I think that they're not the biggest in the state anymore, but at our time, it, apparently they were, um, one of the biggest schools in the state. And so sports was, was big and, uh, I was involved in student government. And so I was kind of this, the, you know, the non-Mormon kid that was, was doing good. And so it was, yeah. uh, and I wasn't even aware necessarily of the significance of that, but you know, my friends were, um, seminary on the seminary board and, and, uh, and, and I would still hear now, the older I got, I would hear little sprinklings of, oh, I I'd had a girlfriend, I think when I was a sophomore that wasn't allowed to date me anymore when they found out I wasn't Mormon. And that really hurt, you know, there were some things like yeah. that. Um, and then, uh, and so then I, I had a really good baseball season, my junior year, and I started getting recruited a little bit. I actually talked to a coach at BYU. I talked to a coach at the U and some of the junior colleges around. And, and so then when this thing happens with my parents, I kind of had this in the back of my head thought that if I can get a scholarship to play baseball at BYU, then that is my answer. Then the, the <laughs> Lord has shined his, you know, uh, grace is upon me and I will join the church. And, you know, what could I do? BYU had a great baseball team. 
And in Utah, as you know, as you so well know, there's a fair amount of snow. And so, right. So the, the, um, what was the winter of, uh, of 88, um, it was a, a very heavy snow year. So we didn't even get to start playing baseball till I want to say April, you know, the season's almost over. Mm. So we, we play a handful of games. And, and so then you really play in the summer, this American Legion ball. And, uh, and I knew I still was talking to um, the U coach and the BYU coach. And I thought, okay, I'll come out and I'll have this great summer and I'll sign with BYU and join the church and live happily ever after. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that, and I had, I had been dating. That's when I had already started dating my high school sweetheart who was, uh, who was a member. And I just had, this was all going to work. Yeah. And you then, had a plan. Right. And then, uh, and then that senior year, um, when I graduated, we took a trip down to Lake Powell and it was, uh, all a bunch of good kids and their parents and good, good LDS kids. There wasn't any drinking going on or anything, but I, I happened to get run over by a boat, um, a dual prop 28 foot uh, sea ray or something like that. The, the, I had been skiing and I had kicked off one ski. I wasn't necessarily a great skier, but I really enjoyed making people laugh. And apparently I had done something funny. And so I'm down in the water and I'm putting my skis back on. And I remember my back is to this boat and it's really big. So, um, I learned later that instead of, I guess, turning the engine off, maybe it was the, the, the guy driving thought that it was just in neutral, but it was slightly going backwards. And so it's just backing into me and I'm not even aware of it. And I just remember at some point, um, you know, I kind of just, it, the, the prop hits my skis and it, and the turning of the prop turns me around. I remember just seeing the, the engine or the, you know, this, this prop. And then I just, you hear it hit the, nick up the skis and then I feel it hit my legs, both my legs. And it was oh that surreal gosh. feeling where just now I'm pulled underwater. And, uh, and then the next thing I know, I'm up on the deck and there was a, a good friend, Todd, who had been an Eagle scout who had pulled me up there and, and we're about an hour away from the marina. And I remember just one time looking down and looking down at my legs and they both just had, they had so many, just these cuts mm. and chunks kind of. And I just, and they, I remember them telling me, don't let him look, you know? And, and then, uh, and then they kind of held me back. And we were again, about an hour from the marina and this, this dad just went as fast as he could. We get back to the marina and, and, uh, they start working on my legs, but there were a couple of people in there ahead of me, a guy that had lost some fingers from trying to tie his boat up and a rope that got a hold of him on a, on a wave. And there was a girl that had passed out cliff diving. And so I kind of just had to sit there and wait. And so, um, they end up working on my legs and, and I, and, you know, long story short that summer, then I end up not being able to play baseball at all. And so I kind of thought, man, there goes that BYU, uh, experience and, and this must be a message or a sign or that sort of thing. And was it, was it the boat that was pulling you before? Yeah, it was. So it had just kind of backed into me. Yeah. So if your parents were not thrilled about the church idea before. (laughs) I never thought about that, Sean. Yeah. (laughs) Now let's send, let's send our son out with the Mormons to go skiing. Yeah. And they run him over. Yeah. And he he comes back. Yeah. My, and you know, I just had to just, I mean, I remember even driving back from um, Lake Powell and I had to be propped up in the back of this, uh, this, I don't know, it's like a suburban cause I couldn't bend either of my legs. They were in these just splints and just sitting there and I was on all these painkillers and, and, uh, yeah, that was just such a surreal experience. And then that summer was, uh, was just spent, um, VCRs were new. And I remember yeah. I think they got me a VCR and I just watched <laughs> movies and tried to read books and I couldn't really do anything. And, and uh, gosh, went to, yeah, me. I went to some rehab and that sort of thing. And, and this is the dramatic thing we'll get to later. It wasn't that I was told I will never walk again, but I was kind of told that it, running probably wouldn't be um, in my future. Uh, yeah. You know, so foreshadowing, we'll note that, right? Right. We'll come back to that. We'll circle back around on that. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then what made matters a little worse, boy, talk about a, a little bit of a sad story. Then about two or three weeks after that, 
this this best friend who had brought me into the church, um, Trent, he and uh, his girlfriend, who was a girl that I had had a crush on in eighth grade, and then Trent's brother and, and his friend had all, they had passed away in a car accident uh, coming down, I think, oh, back from Jackson gosh, Hole. No. Yeah. And so we had these, uh, these, I think it was oh. what three, three funerals in a couple of days at the time. Um, it was, uh, you know, went on to be president Monson, but was, uh, elder Monson at the time came and spoke. And I remember not knowing who he was, but knowing that he spoke yeah. at one of these funerals and just remember what a, what a powerful message he had given. And, you know, and, and, but so we went through all these funerals and we, I remember we'd all been putting these slideshows together of our friends and, and that was a heavy time. I'm sitting there with these, you know, legs that I can't move around. And, oh. and so that was a rough summer. Um, and then the, Tony, I the, can't imagine. Right. And then the, the, the crazy part is, is that I am invited to go just take a couple of swings at this, uh, this all-star game. I remember it was around in Tooele, you know, around the point of that mountain. Yeah. And I go there and I'm thinking, all right, well, here's, here's the Disney moment. So there's going to be these coaches here and I haven't done anything. And I, I hobble <laughs> off and, you know, they're basically like, you know, after a summer of, of not being able to walk, you know, give them a big hand, you know, Tony Overbay or whatever. I walk up there and I just whiff on three straight pitches. I mean, horrible pitches. I just oh. go down and, and I, you know, and I, and I walk off there, yeah. like no Disney moment. And, uh, and a, a couple of the coaches at least kind of made eye contact, like a good luck son. And, uh, so that was rough. So then, uh, so I took that experience and I just, I headed out to, uh, to Kansas state with my other, um, my other best friend and, uh, tried to walk on and play some baseball there and heart just wasn't really in it and was away from my, uh, my, my, my now wife, my high school sweetheart at the time. So that was a rough go, but there's yeah. a, there's gold to be mined here, Sean. It is, there's yes. a happy story here. So I get out to Kansas. And so now I'm kind of doing this thing where, well, I'm not supposed to join the church. I mean, cause it, that the way I remember it is that my, I didn't feel like my parents really wanted me to, and I didn't get the scholarship to BYU and you know, you had your plan, your plan didn't quite work out. Yeah. So I started, I did this, I haven't really talked much about this ever really, but I did a, I did a religious pilgrimage of sorts and I, I joined this fraternity and there were some guys there that did a Bible study. And so I was, I was attending a Bible study and I was going to a couple of different of the churches that they went to in the area. And then I just went on this, just, uh, I went to, I think it was about 20 or so churches in the span of the next year. I went to <laughs> Assemblies of God and Quaker and Born wow. Again Christian. And um, I went to everything. I went to everything That's I could neat. go to. And yeah. uh, and then it was really funny. Now there, it was in Manhattan, Kansas at Kansas State. And there was an institute building. And so I would still see these elders walking around every now and again. And there was just something there that just was like, that's ah, my that's my guys, you know, over there, but I didn't really have much to do with the church while I was there, but I was still in contact with my, with my now wife. And so, you know, a year, year and a half of that. And I just thought, okay, this is, uh, this isn't where I want to be. And so then I did move home and married Wendy, my, uh, my high school sweetheart. And then I joined the church, um, just pretty much right after I, um, I got married. So that's kind of my conversion story. Was it a bit of a leap of faith for Wendy I mean, had you already decided, yes, I will join the church yeah, once we're married? That's such a good or? question. It, it is one of those things now that I realize, what was she thinking? You know, that, <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know what she was thinking. Uh, I think I was pretty confident that I, I was very interested in the church. But, you know, I have uh, three three older daughters and now and a young son. My youngest is 16 and, and my daughters are 18, 20, 22. And I kind of think, you know, I, I don't know if yeah. I would have encouraged them to uh, marry me. 
<laughs> you know? Well, I got to think that, that neither side would have been over the moon. You know, you got to have your parents going, what are you doing marrying the Mormon girl? Yeah. You know, we've, we've dodged this bullet once before and her parents going, what are you doing marrying the non-Mormon girl? Yeah. Yeah. It's your, this is a great, uh, great little parable of having faith in people and in God to do the right things. I think so. Because I mean, I do, I do now. I mean, I was kind of joking a little bit. If, uh, if my daughter is, is dating someone and, and yeah, of course, not a of member, course. it's like, I love them to death. As a matter yeah, fact, of the, course. And, and so that, that's been kind of fun, but I do look back on that and I will tell you, and here's some of the things that, you know, later when I became a, a marriage and family therapist and I would see things come into my practice that I feel like maybe God was uh, giving me an extra bit of empathy but I remember when we, so I, I stayed in Utah and I graduated from the University of Utah and my wife worked full time. I worked full time. We were married. We were in a little apartment. And it was the greatest. I mean, it was the greatest yeah. time ever. I, I had no idea it would be that much fun. But then I, I graduate and that's when I move out to Northern California and I take a job with a software company and we get out here and, uh, oh, okay, I don't know if I've ever told this story either. We get out here and, oh, when we were there in Utah, so I join and then we immediately went inactive. And, uh, and, you know, we both were working retail and we were working some Sundays and yeah. I immediately got called into the primary. And again, now knowing when I was in a bishopric that it was give everybody, every member a calling. And sure. so I was right. So I was, I was called into the primary and I know now that, you know, bless that Bishop's heart. He was saying, that's a good way to learn the gospel. But I just went in there and I felt intimidated by these mm, uh, eight year olds sure. that knew more than I did. And I would find myself <laughs> just, you know, and if my wife had to work and I was in there by myself and I just, it was so I just so insecure and uncomfortable with, with my knowledge and, yeah. and, and, and teaching kids. And Which stuff. I think happens a lot with, with newer members of the church, you know? Yeah, it does. It can be intimidating. There's a lot to know. We take it for granted how much it, there is to know. So much. And, and I remember, I don't remember its name, but there was a kid in there that, you know, now I know um, is one of these kids that just had been raised on, on Book of Mormon stories and, uh, and he just knew so much and I felt so inadequate by this, you know, from this little eight-year-old kid. <laughs> so we had moved apartments at one point and admittedly we, we didn't really have our records sent or found or mm. did about a year there. Nobody really, we kind of fell out of, uh, out of activity and then moved out to California and said, all right, we're jumping back in with both feet. You know, we will, we will be active forever and ever now. And, and I was living with a, my brother-in-law who was out here and that was part of the the lure. I came and worked with his uh, software company. And so we go to church and I still remember this, um, uh, this, our clerk came up and he said, um, Hey, welcome. You know, we really, we need to get your records here. And I didn't know enough to even know what I didn't know. So, he, yeah. so I said, sure, that'd be great. And he's like, so, uh, so I can, I can request them. Where were you guys living? I think we were living in Midvale at the time. And, mm. and he's like, okay, what ward in Midvale? And I just thought, oh boy. I don't know, oh, you know, so, but I, but I was embarrassed to say, so I, I think I took a guess. I don't know. I think it was like the third or the fourth ward. And, and he can tell at that point, if you yeah. don't know your ward, you probably, <laughs> probably weren't very active, <laughs> but you know, thankfully he was just like, okay, I'll, I'll find out, you know, yeah, was, I'll track it down. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. fantastic. That's really funny. That's a great story. Tony, that's an amazing conversion story. I mean, that's really, really very cool. Kind. What did you study at the university of Utah? Yeah. Uh, that's a funny one too. So I, I wanted, I started my studies at Kansas State in broadcast journalism, and I always thought that I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I thought that would be fun. And then yeah. um, it, it's so funny now to look at that. And I thought, I mean, I was, I was one semester in and I thought, okay, if I'm really good at this, I'm going to be traveling on the weekends. And I'm going to be away from my family. And I had already projected out this, uh, this incredible success. <laughs> and, and this is a part that I still look back on too. And it just fascinates me of, from a young age, I knew I wanted to be, I wanted to be a good dad and I wanted to be a good 
uh, a good husband. And I, and I know, I mean, I'm not even saying that cliched, it was something just yeah. within me. And so, but so that frame that I kind of thought in terms of a successful broadcast journalist is I'm not going to be around for my kids and I'm not going to be able to spend time yeah. with my wife. So, so I sure. switched, yeah. So I switched majors to journalism and then I got caught up in that journalists don't make a lot of money out of high, uh, out of college, which again, I think somebody maybe mentioned it to me offhand. And so then I switched yeah. to, uh, when I got to the University of Utah, I switched to mass communications with an emphasis in public relations. I took some classes in psychology in college and I really enjoyed them, but I didn't see it as a career. And so that was, uh, that was one of those things that I don't regret, but I just thought it was interesting because now I feel like the, the 10 years in computer software and, and I'd actually started uh, my own company um, at, during that time as well, that, that I feel like that helped me. Um, be a better therapist. But at times, I think it was fascinating, again, that I didn't know what a career as a therapist could look like. And so I didn't even think about it at the time. So how did you make the transition from, uh, you know, you've got you've got your communications degree, you've got all this experience in the tech world. Yeah. How do you transition into being a, a marriage and family therapist? So uh, it's funny. I feel like most therapists say the same thing. And when I, I listened to your episode with uh, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, who I've had on my show a couple times, sure. And, and even she just said one thing in passing, where she said, and and people would come to me with their problems a lot. And I feel like that is one of those common threads with a lot of people that do become uh, therapists. And so I did feel like even when I was in software, I traveled everywhere. I had this really neat opportunity to go speak at trade shows. And I went in Russia and China and Japan and all throughout Europe. And, and But I would find anywhere I would go and I'm making these connections and I'm supposed to be selling them software. But I would just end up, we would talk a lot about family and talk about parenting mm. and talk about kids. And and uh, and it just, it wasn't about business. It was just about these relationships. And so I just enjoyed that. And I really did have this moment where um, I think I was in my late 20s, early 30s, where I thought I just felt, I did feel a calling to go back to school and get my master's in counseling. And at the time, I just thought that I wanted to maybe write a book and I thought about being a dad and I thought it would be nice to have some letters behind my name because I thought, why would somebody buy a book of mine if I just threw it out sure. there? <laughs> so I started the process of going back to school to get my master's and I told myself, okay, two years are going to pass and I'll either have it or I won't. So let's let's get started. And uh, and at that time, I look back and I really feel like I was uh, I was buoyed up by the Lord because I feel like I was I had four little kids at the time. I had a day job. I was teaching early morning seminary. I had already started kind of uh, doing a lot of running. And and here I was going to grad school at night. And I just felt like when everyone was asleep at 10, I just felt so just hyper-focused on school from about 10 to midnight or one. And then I could turn around and do it the next day. And I felt like for the two years of grad school, it just wasn't even a problem. And so that's where I just feel like, okay, I don't know. I kind of felt like the Lord was saying, all right, this is what I want you to do. So we'll give you a little help and, and just get, get through this. And, uh, and it was a, it was a pretty special couple of years. It really was. You get a year into the program and you have to do a practicum. So you have to do some free counseling at a nonprofit. And I did that at the child abuse prevention council in, um, Placer County in here. And so that was a pretty sweet time. I mean, the, so my software career had kind of dwindled. I had started this computer hardware company where I was selling these forensic disc duplicators to law enforcement companies and, wow. and you know, when they're catching bad guys. And, and it was, I was doing that from home. And then uh, I was doing this counseling at this um, nonprofit. And, and uh, I don't know, it was just, it was, a, again, pretty nice, uh, pretty nice time. That um, is really cool. Yeah. So I want to now get into some of the work that you do in, okay. in counseling. 
uh, because you have the unique perspective of not only being a marriage and, and family therapist, but also an active member of the church. And some of the work that you do deals with faith crises. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that and kind of what you see. Yeah, no, I'm so glad. So if I can even, I'll step back here a little bit too. So when I Please. got, when I, when I got my degree, my master's in counseling, I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do if I really wanted to see a lot of clients. So I got a part-time gig working for the church at LDS Family <laughs> Services. And, and then I was only seeing about 10 clients or less a week. And I did that for a number of years. And while I was doing that, I was still doing this uh, computer hardware company. And I had a, I had my hand in a couple of other things as well, some other ventures. But I really enjoyed the counseling. And I felt like, I don't know if it was just because I was a male or, or what it was, but the church at that time. And so this was 15 years ago. Um, I was trained on pornography addiction and uh, uh, helping people um, that were uh, struggling with Id- identity or sexual identity issues, and then faith crisis. So it was like was those the, three. Were these trainings specific from the church? Yeah, yeah. So, so that, okay. uh, and so that was kind of those things that I would specialize in. I would still see people for anxiety or depression. I didn't do a lot of couples therapy at the time, so it was mainly these issues. And and primarily, when I started working with people that were struggling with pornography addiction, and again, that wasn't something that my goal was to go in and help people. I wanted to help people be. I felt called to be um, to help people become better husbands and fathers. And, and I've said this on some other interviews I have done, but when I was in grad school, I would, they would always ask what brings you back to school. And I would say, well, I felt a little calling and cause there aren't a lot of LDS that are, there aren't a lot of male therapists in general. It's, you know, it's mm. uh, I think it's 20 or 30% of therapists are male. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in these grad school classes where there'd be me, a couple other guys and maybe 15 to 20 women. And, and then I would say, I feel, you know, they would say, why are you back? Why are you coming back to school? And I would say, I really felt called to work with men. I want to help them become better husbands, fathers. and and people, I felt like the people in the class would kind of do a, oh, and then the professors would typically chuckle a little bit. And, and I never quite knew why until I got out into counseling and noticed that guys don't typically come to counseling saying, hey, help me be a better <laughs> husband and father. You know, they, they might be there if their marriage is struggling or if they have, they are struggling with a, an addiction or that sort of thing. So, so then I'm working for the church and I'm doing a lot with this pornography addiction. And I feel like the first year or so, I was doing a lot of behavioral things. So it's the, okay, when you're feeling triggered, then do this or, you know, in, in kind of the traditional behavioral approaches. And, and I really started to notice that, you know, you can do those all day long, but I feel like what really was, was significant in helping people was, um, and Spencer W. Kimball talks about the void. So when you remove sin from someone's life, that creates this void. And so you need to, you know, fill it with good things. And so I remember hearing that concept and, and starting, I, I felt like I had this epiphany um, over a, a good six month period where I took that principle and I felt like, okay, I, I can do the behavioral stuff all day with people and, and it's not going to necessarily fix things. But I started looking at people's uh, marriages and their, their parenting, their careers, their health and their faith. And so then I went on a little bit of a journey where I, I tried to find a nice evidence-based model to work with all of those. So I would still touch on talking to somebody about pornography, but then it's saying, okay, let's help you become a better, a better um, husband. And I found this uh, communication model called emotionally focused therapy, EFT. And, it, and it's, yeah. it's amazing. And then I, and then it was like, okay, let's help you be a better parent. So then I find this, uh, one of the trainings I went to from the church was on this thing called the nurtured heart approach. And it's a parenting technique that I absolutely love. So I, I, I become proficient in helping people become, you know, with the nurtured heart approach. And then I find this, uh, this therapy, actually, while I was with the church, they sent me on a training to, um, it's about acceptance and commitment therapy. And that's one where you really are dialing in what, what your values are. And you're really trying to figure out, 
you know, if you're not doing something that's in accordance with your values, um, they call them socially compliant goals. And so you're kind of doing things that don't quite feel like they are important to you. So your motivation is, they say, weak and ineffective because it's going against really who you are as a person or your sense of self. So so that's what leads a lot of people to feeling like, okay, if I'm not really feeling alive in my career or, you know, then I'm, I'm doing this socially compliant goal. And so then they're they're kind of feeling disconnected and their brain wants a coping mechanism. So any of these things where they feel like they're not dialed in in parenting or couples or career, that when they don't feel comfortable or they feel less than their brain goes back to a coping mechanism, like an addiction. And so then there was their health. So, you know, and I'm an, I'm an avid runner. So I would try to get people encouraged about exercise. But then the, the, the last one that I thought was really, I just so enjoyed the trainings around it was when people struggled with their faith. And so um, I went to a lot of different trainings on faith journeys, faith crisis, that sort of thing. And, and I remember hearing in one of those trainings, it was, it was kind of in a sense, it was like, Hey, if uh, you're doing this training, you got to make sure you watch out for your own faith crisis or your own faith journey. And I remember, you know, one yeah. of those thinking, eh, yeah, I'm good, you know? And then, yeah. and then during that work, you kind of do, you all of a sudden start watching yourself, you know, sit there with clients and you want to support them and help them. And, and they're bringing up all these things and you're thinking, man, I got to go check that out. Or I got to look at this or I got to, and, and you do, you kind of go through your own faith crisis or faith journey. And, and then I remember at one point going to a training and it was, it was, it was such an amazing, um, model. And it was this, uh, this, um, guy named James Fowler. Um, he had the book called James Fowler stages of faith and he's, he's long since, uh, passed, but his work was, he was, um, he was a, I believe it was a Methodist minister, but he also ran the psychology department of a college for a number of years. And he did a a tremendous amount of research on what were called all encompassing belief systems. So it was, you know, it was, it was Mormonism and Catholicism and Judaism and, and Jehovah's witness and anything where there was this, here's your, your kind of belief system all in a, in a box. And I'm not saying that in a negative way, but it's like here, you know, this is the, in this box are kind of the instructions from cradle to grave and beyond and, and it's, you know, we sometimes hear about it. It's, it's a template or it's, uh, it's just, this is how things can work. So this is what, that, what I started running into is in this, in, in, and I'll tell you, when I worked for the church, I would maybe see one or two people a week that might be struggling with a faith crisis or a faith journey. And then as I, sl- as I moved into private practice, six, seven, eight years in, uh, it, that work started to go from once or twice a week to maybe once a day to now in my practice currently, I might see a couple of people a day that are that are struggling with some sort of faith journey, faith crisis, or or wow. in, whether it's in their marriage or as an individual. And I've done a, I've done a number of podcasts on on Fowler stages of faith, or um, how to kind of operate in a mixed faith marriage, or how to support people in your family that might be struggling. And and it's just I love doing this. But so I'll I'll go through this really quickly because this is I think this just resonates Please, this with is people. Fascinating. Okay. This is so interesting. So so. Um, with some of this, some of the work that I've, uh, or some of the research I've, I've been able to do, or some of the things I've learned in, in a lot of the da- trainings around faith crisis is, um, you know, you look at basically any, any, any faith comes from a, a an unorthodox, um, uh, movement, you know, so, you know, Jesus was, uh, was an, un- it was an unorthodox movement, uh, moving away from, um, you know, with uh, the Romans or the, you know, yeah. any of so, and so then you get, pretty far down the road with any unorthodox movement that then starts and it starts to develop its own orthodoxy. And so mm. when you get about anywhere from, I don't know, it's a few hundred years into a, into a religion, there almost tends to be 
this, you know, are we going to kind of double down on orthodoxy? Are we going to kind of start to, to move or, or see what that looks like moving forward? And so you can look at things like, uh, you know, uh, doubling down on orthodoxy might be Hasidic Jews, you know, inside curls or right, the Amish. Right. We don't, you know, we don't go with the um, uh, electricity, that sort like of thing. Technology, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. And then there are others that, that might get to a position where somebody can have an orthodox belief and they can worship right beside somebody that might not be as orthodox in their belief system. And it's okay. You know, they're, they're, they're going to be okay. They're not going to feel less than or that sort of thing. And so this James Fowler stages of faith is amazing. So he basically broke down these all encompassing belief systems into these six stages. And they kind of go along with um, a psychologist named Piaget who has these stages of development. And that's, I think why I really loved the way he did this. So I've got a, a real quick summary that I always pull up whenever I talk about these things. But so stage one, he talks about, it's called intuitive and projective faith. And he says, this is the stage uh, of preschool children where fantasy and reality often get mixed together. And during this mm. stage, our basic ideas about God are usually picked up from our parents or society. So this, this stage one's like three years and younger. So it's this projective faith. So I always kind of lightheartedly say it's the, the kids are playing with toys on the floor and a parent says, hey, kids, there's a God, you know, and they, okay, you know, it's the project, they're projecting their faith. Um, sure. Stage two, he calls it mythic and literal. And so he says, when children become school age, they start understanding the world in more logical ways. And they generally accept the stories told to them by their faith community, but they understand them in very literal ways. And so this is that Mm. three to 12 and mythic and literal. I would say this is the, there's Jesus and there's the Easter bunny and the tooth fairy and Batman and Santa Claus, right? right? They're mythic and they're literal. They're, you know, they're literal. And then stage three faith is called synthetic and conventional. And here's where things get really interesting. So he says that most people move on to the stage as teenagers. And at this point, their life has grown to include several different social circles. And there's a need to pull it all together. And when this happens, a person usually adopts some sort of all-encompassing belief system. However, at this stage, people tend to have a hard time seeing outside of their box. And they don't recognize that they're inside of a belief system. And at this stage, authority is usually placed in individuals or groups that represent one's beliefs. And so stage three is this, it's, it's, you know, it's the box, but it's not, I'm again, I'm not saying that in a negative way because there are many people that can stay in the stage three beliefs system forever and be happy because it is the, here's the, here's your beliefs. Here's the, here's how life. Exactly. And, and for some it's very, you know, and and we have our articles of faith and uh, you know, and, and the plan of salvation. And it's like, man, that just jives and fits for a lot of people. And and it's wonderful. The, the, what I see as a therapist start to happen is when people start to feel like they don't necessarily fit inside of the box or they feel like their their situations don't quite exactly fit in that template. Maybe they've had a, a spouse die. Maybe they've had a, a spouse um, uh, come out as gay. Maybe they've had a child come out as gay. Maybe they've you know done everything they feel like is right and then their spouse has um, has, has cheated on them or has, has opened up about an addiction or, you know, so they don't fit like, they feel like then what's wrong with me? And I always feel like whenever you get that, that question going, what's wrong with me? And then, uh, and then, you know, a, a leader who bless their heart is working off of this template or, or this, 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 you know, model that works so well for so many is, is often saying, you know, Hey, you just need to, you know, uh, read your scriptures more. You say, say your prayers a little right, more. Right. Right. And, and, I, and this is one where I will hear people come into my office and literally say, if you, if you tell me to pray or read my scriptures, you know, more I'm, I'm walking out. <laughs> You know, and even though in my head, I want to be like, oh, it's not a bad idea, but you know, but it's like, yeah, okay, it's I, you not, know. they're not wrong. It's right, just, right, it's, right. Yeah. But so, and it's that thing where we just, a lot of people just, we want to be heard. You know, we want to, we don't want to be necessarily told, Hey, here's what you just need to do, or you're doing this wrong or because you yeah. know, it's kind of going through their own, their own, um, their own version of life. 
And so yeah. in that stage three, that when people then kind of bump into those, I always say the sides of the box or that sort of thing, a lot of times they start to look outside of the box. And uh, Fowler calls that stage four. He calls it individuative and reflective. And, he's, and, he, and he says, this is a tough stage. It's often begun in young adulthood when people start seeing outside of the box and they do realize there are other boxes and they may critically examine their beliefs on their own. And at times they become disillusioned with their former faith. And I think one of the hard things can be, um, he says that uh, stage three people usually think that stage four have become backsliders and stage four people, you know, want to think that, no, no, I'm moving forward. And so that's the one where a lot of times people Mm. that are in that stage three say, well, don't, don't read that. Don't look at that. Don't, you know, basically kind of get me back here. And the stage four person saying, I mean, I tried, I really, I tried and and it didn't, I didn't feel like it was working for me. And so I think that I get a lot of people in my office that are in this kind of stage four mentality and it's, they're so angry or they feel like, you know, nobody wants to listen or nobody wants to hear them. And so Fowler has this stage five that I feel like is, is the place I love helping people get to. It's called conjunctive faith. And it it says it's rare for people to reach the stage before midlife. Um, This is the point when people begin to realize the limits of logic. They may accept the paradoxes in life and they begin to see life as more of a mystery and they can return to sacred stories and symbols um, without necessarily feeling stuck in a, a theological box. So this is one where people can say, man, there's things I love about the church, you know, and there's experiences that I've had and I've felt the spirit mm. and, and, you know, I feel like five can often be, you know, if somebody hasn't experienced a lot of these kind of things, then they, they would never need to leave the stage three faith box, but somebody that's, that's had these experiences and, and they've tried to just pray harder and read their scriptures more, you know, and, and they felt like they're alone or they felt broken. And then they get to this stage five where it's, I feel it's more of a, you know, unconditional love or Christ-like love or the atonement, or you're going to be okay. You know, it's kind of coming yeah. from a place like that. And, and the stages of faith is pretty fascinating because I, again, I've done a lot of work with this and, you know, I've had bishops and state presidents and uh, area Thor. I've had people email me and, and say, you know, thank you, or I'm a, I'm a stage five or, you know, and one of the hardest things is people don't even know a stage three p- person doesn't know their stage three because they don't need to know because they're, it's okay. It works for them. Yeah. They're happy. Yeah, they, they don't know there's a door in the box. No, exactly. Right. So they oh, never like cross that. through that door because the box is the box. It's and it the works. End of my world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it works. And it works. I'm a, yeah. I think I'm a bit of a stage three guy <laughs> myself. If you're describing it all. Yeah. You know, yeah. I had wild teenage years, but once I went on a mission, I've never looked back and I've oh, never. Right. And that one's like. Questioner. And you it's know? great. I mean, it's like, yeah. and that works, right? For me, that works. For me, that all works. And I just, I'm not, I always say I'm not smart enough yeah. to question the church. Like, yeah. I just assume they know more than I do. So, you know, I go along for the ride. But I've seen people enter that stage four. And it's interesting you say it, Tony, because I've I've seen the battle, and I never thought of it this way, Yeah. between, hey, you have really digressed. No, I've really progressed. Yeah. And you're yeah, in Sean. the box, and you're saying, because you're not coming back into the yeah. box, and really to, to not pull them back into the box, but to get them to that stage five. Yes. Oh, Tony, bless that your heart. That's brilliant. That no, is this is what, this is, I love this work. And because five is a place of, so if I can take a quick side note too, part yeah. of what I just has been amazing about this, this journey as a therapist is this model. I love acceptance and commitment therapy. It starts with saying, you are the only person on the face of the earth that is you that has had the, and I, and I've got this, you know, it's going to sound memorized because it, it really is, but it's the, you, you're the only person that's had all of the, the nature and the nurture and the birth order and the DNA and the abandonment and the rejection and the sorrows and the guilt and grief. You're the only version of you that has been yeah. through all of that. And so when someone is saying, you just need to do this, there's this inherent piece of us that feels like, but you don't, you don't know what I've gone through, you know? 
And, yeah. and this is why I talk so much about empathy on my show mm. and uh, in my practice, because you know, we can say empathy and I have people all the time say, no, no, I, I have empathy. It's like, I get it. I've been there before. I was a teenager. Or I was a, and it's like, but you weren't that person, you know, but you weren't me. And yeah. You weren't me. And so, and, and boy, okay. For, we're on a roll now. I, I love this stuff. There's yeah, yeah, a term yeah, that I talk about often and it's called, uh, it's called psychological reactance. And what psychological reactance is, is it's this instant negative reaction of being told what to do. It's innate. It's born within us. So when we tell somebody you need to do this, or you're doing this, our, that's why our brain just goes, no, I don't, you know, I don't have to do anything. Mm, and, and, yeah. and I believe that is agency. You know, the psychological reactance is built within us. They, they, you know, psychologists love to say it so that we won't be dominated by a alpha male or a, a corrupt society that we always have this reactance principle to us just to go, I don't have to do that. And, and I feel like that is agency, you know? So, so if you take somebody even that's coming out of the stage three, they feel like they're just not, not okay. Like they're broken or what's wrong with them. And then somebody just says, you just need to do this, their own agency, their own reactance is kind of saying, no, I don't, I don't have to do it. Yeah. You know? and, and I just think that's so fascinating. And the way to kind of work with this psychological reactance is for somebody to feel heard and to feel yeah. this unconditional love and empathy and tell me more, you know? And what the person is really saying when they say, you just need to do this, they're saying, I do this and it works for me. Yeah. Ergo, yes. Yes. my ego tells me that since it works for me, it has to work for you. Yeah. And that doesn't take into account people's personal experiences. No. That's so you, so can you see how all that stuff starts to just kind of play yeah. to each other? And it's, and I never would have had this experience had I not changed careers, become a therapist and sat here with, with thousands of people now that they have had emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, abandonment, right. rejection, all these things. And they're just trying, I mean, they're trying their best. They're trying so hard. And this is why, you know, as a convert, I, I kind of get back to that story a little bit. I still remember when I moved to California and, and uh, I was given a talk about the atonement and my home teacher at the time was this very wise man. And he's like, man, the atonement, huh? And I was like, yeah, the atonement, you know, and inside I'm like, I don't really get, I mean, I know the definition, but this guy, this guy's in tears weeping about the atonement. And, yeah. and I felt like it was just a few years ago where all of a sudden I'm in a session and I've got this acceptance and commitment therapy training of where, you know, everybody has all of their own stuff they bring to the table. And and they can feel broken and they can feel like they, you know, they, they just, nobody understands them. And I thought, oh my gosh, here's the atonement. You know, here's, here's where the, you know, the savior has died for all. He is, you know, the atonement doesn't just cover sin. It covers empathy. Yeah. Uh, it's sorrow. Um, it covers heartache, pain. You know, there's a great uh, quote by Elder Bednar. I should have had it ready, but it, it, it talks about that, that the atonement is not just about sin. I yeah. mean, super honest, I forget almost about the sin part half the time or more than mm. half the time. It's just the atonement covers that I'm not enough that I feel like I'm not okay. And that's which love. I just realized we use. <laughs> and I, I have no doubt I've done this as well, <laughs> where we'll say, darn you, you just need to use the atonement. Why can't you use the atonement? Yep. And in that statement, I'm not using the atonement. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally saying, I don't need the atonement. I'm going to ram this down your throat. Go find the atonement. Let me judge you. Let me pass oh, judgment. Let Sean, me tell you man. what to do. Yes. And let me take away your agency go use the atonement. I have now kicked the atonement out versus, yeah. versus, Hey, let's figure out together how we use the, yeah. Atonement. Cause it's like, cause you're, you're, you're a child of God. I'm a child of God. I, you've been through your things. I've been through my things. And, and this yeah. all plays into the type of marriage therapy I do. You know, it's founded in the, we're not trying to break down the other person's reality. This it's about, Hey, tell me what your experience was like growing up with, you know, how you were parented. Okay. Tell me, you know, mm, to your spouse, tell me about how you were. Yeah. And then let's, cause we're not trying to say you're wrong. You're wrong. You know, 
where, and, yeah. and this is why this stuff, I just love this stuff. And I could talk about it all day. You can see how it fits into these stages of no, faith I hear too. your passion. It's phenomenal. I know, right. Um, and then, and there is a sixth stage of faith and it's called universalizing. And he says, few people reach this stage. Those who do live their lives in full service of others without worries or doubts. And I just feel like that's, that's Jesus. That's, that's Gandhi. That's mother Teresa. That's, yeah. you know, and I'll never do that. Cause I still get super angry if my food's late, you know, or something. So I'll never quite <laughs> hit stage six, but, but the stage five is just like, bless yeah. your heart. Kind of, I, you know, yeah. that's where I say this all the time. A stage three leader, bless their heart. They are trying and it works for them. And a stage five leader is only there because he's been through some stuff, you know? Right. And, and, and I always say this, what I love now is I've been doing the faith crisis stuff for so long that people come in often and they say to me, you know, man, I'm really struggling. And, and they, they're like, I, I can't even tell you the things that I know. And I don't want to ruin your testimony, your faith. And that's where I want to be like, will you please try? Because I mean, I, I've yeah. heard everything. I've read everything. I've heard everything. And it's usually like, really? And I'm like, please, you know, try. And then and, and that's where I feel a lot of people go, well, then why are you here? Like, what's going on? It's like, mm. I'm stage five. Like, I, you know, hey, there are things that yeah. work and there are things that don't. And it's based on your experiences that you've been through and bless your heart. And, and they're saying, yeah, but what about this? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like that, that can be hard, yeah. you know? And, but my job is not to say you shouldn't think that that you should know. And I think that's important. I think it's important that we get scared sometimes as members of the church to say, I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know. Exactly. And that is powerful. And And I've had people who have said that to me. I've had people have said, well, you know, what about this issue with the church? And I'll literally go, yeah, I have no idea why that is. Yeah. But I believe that there's a prophet. I believe Mm -hmm. in the savior. I believe in the atonement. I believe in all the foundational stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they decorated the roof the way they did, but the foundation (laughs) It's so solid that I'm going to stay in the building. I'm not yeah. going to worry about the, the chandeliers. I'm going to worry about the foundation. Yeah. I, Tony, that's awesome. We've, while we have a few more minutes, I just, I want to make sure we get to how people, cause I have no doubt we have a ton of people who are inspired now. Oh, and if they good. want more and more of Tony <laughs> Overbay's amazing insights, you've got yeah. an incredible podcast. Tell us about it. Oh, it's fun. As I appreciate that. So my podcast is called The Virtual Couch, and it is something that I, uh, I just, I, I just wanted to start sharing things that I saw in therapy. I mean, you know, of course, it's not uh, professional counseling, or I'm supposed to say that legally. I'm not giving advice to specific individuals, but, but I mean, I, I try to do an episode of my own, and then I, and then I have a guest on another episode that maybe is somebody that is in the mental health field or is, is you know, has an area of expertise, and, and I just want to be able to just talk about just mental health issues and challenges and and because we got we got to get rid of the stigma on uh, on mental health yes. i mean there people have anxiety and they have depression and they have addictions and and, and go back to this atonement and it's uh, and we're all just trying i mean we're all doing our best and and if somebody has these issues there's a lot of times there's reasons that they they don't feel heard or they don't feel loved or they don't feel supported and and uh and so the more we can kind of talk about it the more a lot of times just people being able to talk about their own struggles and and having someone just respond with a man thanks for sharing that or that must be hard it it really does kind of allow people to really feel more uh let in more light or room to feel that unconditional love of god i mean i'm Oh, and, and so I love it. The, 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 and then I've, I, mean, I do have an online pornography program out called uh, the path back. That's a faith-based um, program that is again, one of these, it's a strength-based model. Um, I, you know, I, I, I just, I love this work. I'm, uh, I'm working with uh, uh, someone to put out a marriage course in August. So I'll have more information about that. If people go stop by my website, but it's, it's about all of these things we're talking about. I mean, I, I just want to, I just want to, put out things on all those things I talked about, parenting, awesome. marriage, faith, you know, that sort of thing, just so that I'm people can feel like so they're okay. 
It's uh, it's really too bad you're not passionate or energetic <laughs> about this, Tony. So it's it's awesome. I love that your your passion and your energy come through. I think it's fantastic. I am a listener of your podcast. I've listened to several episodes. Oh, you're too kind. You have tremendous insight, and so I highly, highly recommend the virtual couch. It's fantastic. So. Sean, you're very kind. I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying yours too, but they're already listening to yours right now. So keep listening. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And we're going to, we're going to wrap up this discussion. Uh, this has just been awesome. I'm not kidding. My mind now, I'm thinking so many things that I've never thought about before. Oh, so it's nice. excellent. So before we get into the final question, if people want to follow you other than the oh, virtual yeah, yeah. couch yeah, podcast, please. what's the best way to find you? Um, so uh, tonyoverbay.com and and uh, there's a place there to sign up to find out more things that uh, are coming. I'm saying, I butcher it. I'm so bad at the marketing myself and I must get better at this. So go to tonyoverbay.com and sign up to find out where I, 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 matter of fact, I promise you, I won't be spamming you with things. I rarely write anything, uh, but I need yeah. to get better at that. And then I, and I am uh, uh, at virtual couch on Instagram, trying to do more there. And, um, and then on Facebook, there's a Tony Overbay licensed marriage and family therapist page. And man, if you've got younger listeners at all, I have actually done a few videos on TikTok. If you're familiar with that, it's Whoa, uh, uh, wow. with my daughter, it's, 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 a, it's awesome. a, it's a, it's a humorous series called the bad therapist. So, uh, oh, I like it. Yeah, I like one it of my daughters has helped me with that. And it's been a lot of fun. That's yeah. fantastic. And to be clear for our listeners, it's Overbay, O-V-E-R-B-A-Y. Yeah. Perfect. So Thanks, when you search for Tony Overbay, Tony Overbay. and by the way, just to take it all back to the beginning, that would have been a phenomenal sportcaster name. I'm sorry, I know, right? Tony Overbay. Come on, I could just see. You know, <laughs> tonight we got Marv Albert and Tony and Overbay. Tony Overbay on the been, play-by-play, the color it man. Would have been, right? It would have been back phenomenal. You, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it didn't but, work out. You know. Yeah, but uh, you know, it could have been Willow Bay and Overbay. Ooh, it would have been bad. Bay and Overbay. That would that's have been not bad. awesome. So yeah. I'm a bit of a big sports fan myself. Okay, so. Good. Uh, okay, well, we're going to wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests, which I don't think I prepped you for this. No, I'm but not uh, but the question is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Yeah. So no, this is good because I had heard some of yours, and I was like, okay, this is here we go. So I mean, to me, it means it's that part, it's that piece that I just ended with about. Um, about the atonement. I mean, being a member of the church to me is is the way that I have found the the path back to this unconditional love of a savior. And and had I you know the, had I not gone through this entire journey that I had, um, I don't feel like I would have really truly understood what that means. And I feel like um, being a member of the church has allowed me to to it's been the vehicle to point me toward the savior and understand that what that atonement means and that it, and that and it plays a role in my life multiple times a day every day because we just got to keep trying and every day every day my own brain is going you know down some rabbit hole of what if or imposter syndrome or you know I'm sitting down to write something and then I'm you know 10 minutes later I've been watching uh, dog fail videos on YouTube and I'm like man what's wrong with me right <laughs> it's like no nothing I'm human you know I'm a child of God I've been I've been given uh, unique uh, abilities and, and and talents and those sort of things and and my job is just to keep trying to find those and and use them and and God is not disappointed I mean you know he's there he doesn't give up on us he loves us unconditionally and so I always say um, that when we you know when we do reach the 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 pearly gates, which I know is not really, we don't necessarily believe in the literal pearly gates, but you know, I feel like that's the thing where we're going to, we're going to feel this. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, I tried my best and I feel like we're not even going to get those words out. And, uh, and the savior is going to already have us in his embrace and rub our head a little bit. One of those, right. And just say, come on, you did your, you did so good. Like you did your best. I, I, you know, right. That, that agency thing, I, I didn't realize it would be so bumpy, but you handled it well. 
you know, so, uh-huh. so, so welcome aboard. So that's what the church has meant to me. And I'm just, I'm grateful for that. Cause I never would have found this, this peace and, and, and uh, love had I not gone through that whole journey. What a beautiful answer. The podcast is called The Virtual Couch. He is a husband. He is a father. He is a marriage and family therapist, the host of a very successful podcast, a phenomenal runner, which we didn't even get into all of your running that you do, but uh, and definitely a special son of God. Tony Overbay, thanks so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. Sean, thank you so much. This is a real treat. And my special thanks to my new friend, Tony Overbay. And I mean that I really feel like Tony is a friend now, and I get the feeling Tony gets that a lot. Just to meet him, he's such a a likable and lovable guy. Uh, Really appreciate him coming on the show. This week in my Latter-day Life, I did what uh, I assume a lot of you did, and that was to go back to church for the first time since uh, worldwide we all stopped going due to COVID-19. And I really didn't know what to expect. I knew it was going to be very different. And I know that every stake is doing things slightly differently, uh, whatever works for them. In our stake, each ward gets a Sunday once a month. Our ward, we have the third Sunday of the month. And we have two sessions, a 9 a.m. and a 10.30. And it's uh, definitely a a smaller meeting. It's a 45-minute or so meeting for sacrament meeting, we, we sign up to go to the nine o'clock. And if I'm being honest, the reason we signed up for the nine o'clock, uh, by the time we signed up, all the spots on the 1030 were already gone because they're keeping it to 99 people. So we decided to sign up for the 9 a.m. And, you know, if I look back, I really thought to myself, well, I'm okay. I've enjoyed so much staying home and worshiping from home. I don't feel the need to go back to sacrament meeting. You know, I wasn't excited about it, but we were signed up to go. And earlier this week, the bishop reached out and asked if my 16-year-old Keaton and I would pass the sacrament. And so, of course, I said yes. And as we walked up to the chapel to help prepare the sacrament and get everything ready, uh, I just got this great feeling. And to walk into the building and see our awesome bishopric there just made me so happy. And we got the sacrament ready, and it was definitely different. There was a lot of hand sanitizer going on. We were all wearing masks. And then as each member of the ward walked in, oh, how wonderful to see them. Very difficult not to give hugs and uh, no handshakes, just a lot of fist bumps and elbow bumps. But everybody was just so happy. You could see the joy behind the masks. And uh, to be able to pass the sacrament, I haven't passed the sacrament in a long time, but to be able to stand next to my son and take the sacrament out to the members of our ward was just overwhelming. And then I sat down in the pews and listened to two young men, one about to go on a mission and one just coming home, give the most beautiful talks. I was so overwhelmed with the Spirit, and I remembered again today how much I love the church. And it's been great to focus on the gospel for the last few months and to be able to spend time with my family, but I love the church. I love being a member of the church. I love our other members of the church. I loved everything about today. And the next few weeks, because we've got four more weeks until we'll be there again, uh, I'm going to really enjoy being at home and enjoy that sacred time with my family. 
but I'll be very grateful to get back into church. And I think sometimes having something taken away for a little bit helps us appreciate it more. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We really appreciate it. Once again, we're going to be off for the next three weeks, but then we'll be back with more new episodes. I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>